This episode is sponsored by Custom 3D, 3D printing services. At Custom 3D, we offer 3D printing on demand, product prototyping and development. We also supply all parts for your 3D printers through matterhackers.com. That also includes 3D printing filaments. For all your manufacturing needs, contact Custom3D at Custom3DLLC.com where we can print you anything from cosplay to prototypes. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and today we got another amazing guest on. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Uh, so I'm James Lathrop. I'm running for state treasurer. I'm the Republican candidate. Um, currently, I work for the town of North Kingstown. I'm the director of finance there. I've been there a little over five years, and um, I've worked in government for the last 15 years. And prior to that, um, I'm a CPA. Um, I work in public accounting as well as private industry before that. Um, I live in South Kingstown uh, with my wife. I have a grown daughter who's now in Philadelphia. She met a Philly boy. And uh, so that's me. Great. Well, uh, I'm sure you have a, a, a much longer story than that. And this podcast is not only you know meant to capture interesting topics, but people's amazing life stories as well. Uh, but so since you mentioned you are running for state treasurer and, and I feel like a lot of people don't truly understand what the point of that is, this being a state treasurer. Uh, I'm sure if you, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm sure if you asked kids my age, they'd have no clue what it is and, and what you do. So for people that don't know, can you explain the position and how it works? Yep. So the, the, the treasurer is an elected position, but it really shouldn't be a political position. It's a very technical in nature. Um, our primary responsibility is to manage the state's um, pension investments, which is approximately $11 billion. We also manage the cash flow for the state. While we have no input into the budget or what gets paid, we do manage the cash flow, which you know is upwards of $30 billion a year. And then we have several smaller programs that we oversee, which is the unclaimed property, um, victims restitution fund, um, the 529 Educational Savings Program, as well as a program called Rhode Island ABLE, which is one of the platforms that I'm running on that I think that's an underutilized program. It's a program that allows individuals to put money um, aside for individuals who have uh, disabilities that they can use later on in life without affecting their social security disability payments. Um, right now, there's only one person in charge of the whole program and, and I just don't think it gets enough um, message out there. I've also recently met with AARP and they are pushing a, uh, a work save program that they'd like the treasurer's office to um, oversee, which allows small businesses um, to have their employees create like a 401k, but without the um, paperwork or the cost associated with it on businesses, it would be kind of a state program and we would just basically hold the cash um, until the individuals either want to withdraw it or those type of things. Um, I think one of the roles of the treasurer is 
talk needs to talk more about is financial education. Um, you know, we are professionals. The office is approximately 90 people. Um, 30 are appointed and, and 60 are uh, civil servant type jobs. Um, so we have a, a lot of bandwidth that we should be out more and talking about um, just how to understand your finances. And it's not just young people, it's older people that they're getting to that age that how do I protect my house and how do I pay for possible nursing homes and, and all those things. So I think that's what the treasurer's role is. We have no policy making things. I think some of my opponents um, want to make it something that it's not. Um, and, and that's where you get into trouble. And that's where the state has got into trouble in the, the past where they've tried to get too smart. Um, sometimes back to the basics, you know, do a good job, be conservative, uh, make the money. Let's bring the, the cost of living increases back to retirees who haven't had them since 2011. I do have a plan um, to do that. And that's what the treasurer's office is all about. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that information. And before we get into a real deep dive of the position, uh, I'd love to hear more about your backstory, you know, because I understand that you've been involved in a lot of different businesses and you went to college and uh, and I would love to hear just your life story because everybody that comes on does. And it's it's amazing to hear everybody's background. So if you hear that, that would be awesome. So I grew up in a small community called Bosra, Connecticut. It's right across the border. I mean, Rhode Island was our treat as a kid. If we were good, dad would take us to Rocky Point or um, Um So Rhode Island has, you know, been part of my life all my life. And uh, my dad was a trash man. My mom was the secretary at church. Um, I was a kid who had a speech impediment. That's how I became an accountant. Um, all through high school, I was taking speech classes in, in elementary school, thinking that I wouldn't have to talk too much, and, and yet here I am talking. Um, sometimes people will say, you, you never get emotional, Jim, and, and that's something I've trained myself to, to stop that issues that I have. When I get excited, you'll, you'll see it come out or emotional. Um, you know, my dad is, and my parents are old-fashioned Yankees. This is what we have, and this is what we can do, and when it came time for college, um, they only had so much money. And I really wanted to go to Bryant University. I loved the campus. So what I did was I joined the U.S. Army Reserves. I served for six years to help uh, fund the difference between what my parents had and what I could support so that I could get through college with really basically no debt. I was very fortunate. Um, from there, I became a CPA. I worked at several firms uh, until I started my own firm. And I had a firm for approximately 15 years had a chance to sell it. We grew the firm to two offices, about seven, I had seven staff at the, the peak. And uh, from there, I got into other businesses. You know, my family is, is entrepreneur. My, we're always self-employed, either from farming to the garbage business to whatever we did. Um, I got into self-storage. I owned a couple move, movie theaters, um, commercial real estate development. And I think that's what I bring is I'm used to spending my own money. I'm not having a subsidy from the government or some guarantee. You know, there was a time where everything I owned was secured that, you know, my house and every cash and, and that puts a lot of pressure on an individual, but it makes you think differently on how you manage money. When you know that, you know, your daughter's education fund is riding on 
that this business being successful. Um, and I said, once I um, sold the business, I had an opportunity to get into government finance. Um, I started out in Hopkinton, uh, Hopkinton, Rhode Island. I went to the city of New London. Um, then I went to Westerly, uh, Portsmouth, Block Island, and now North Kingstown. Um, and, and I've been pretty successful. I've received several awards from the Government Finance Officers Association. Um, I was the RIPAC Goodrich recipient for distinguished service to Rhode Island taxpayers. I was Providence Business News CFO of the year a couple of years ago. And uh, KERMA, which is a risk management association, um, me and my team uh, received the initiatives in risk management for some of the stuff that we did um, to drive down um, insurance and our workers' comp costs. Um, and in North Kingstown, it's been a success story. You know, we've doubled the fund balance in the five years I've been here. We're AA plus rated. We've reduced our OPEP cost, which is our uh, post-retirement um, healthcare costs from 30 some million down to 17 million. Um, we've improved collection rates from 96 to 99%. And again, you know, I'm about the money. I'm about how can we do better on collecting the money before I go to the taxpayers to ask them for more money. And, and that's been a good philosophy and it's a different way of thinking where most people in government always talk about cutting costs. And first, let me see what I got out there before I start cutting services because we all want recreation programs and we want safe roads and, and those type of things. Um, in Portsmouth, um, we've got AAA rating. That was only the second community in Rhode Island to get AAA rating while I was there. And, and we created one of the first public-private partnerships. Um, we had a campground that wasn't really running well the town owned, it was given to us by the Navy. We had an individual come in and provide significant capital to improve it for a long-term lease. And instead of breaking even, it started generating money to the point that Portsmouth created a recreation department just out of the resources of that campground. Um, you know, and again, look at the assets you have before you start asking for more money. That's always been my philosophy. That's great. I mean, a lot of times you hear people running for office telling how they're going to cut costs, cut taxes, but they never really get down to how they're going to do it. And it's sort of an empty promise. Uh, and it's and it's good to know that if that's something that ends up happening, you know what services that are being provided and, and, and what you're going to do with those particular services in the future. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, education is a big thing you know, yeah. for all the communities. And, and we need to find a way to support that. That's one of the things that Treasurer's Office does do. While we don't build schools and we don't help, you know, schools directly, but we do issue all the debt that they use. It, it goes through a process called Ryback. Um, and I think, you know, looking at those, I, I've issued hundreds of millions of dollars in debt, um, you know, have relationships with all the rating agencies, um, you know, and one of the things that I'm very proud of over my time, I now have three individuals who are doing my job at some other community or, or some other state. Um, and one of them actually is a uh, rating uh, reviewer for S&P. Um, he works out on the West Coast now. So, again, part of my philosophy is always to train the next generation. You know, you're being younger. Um, it's hard. People don't want to get into government, especially when they're coming out of business school. They think. 
well, I want to go after the money or I want to work in these big businesses. Government gives you an opportunity to get into a lot of different things. We have a mentoring program here. We work with the high schools. Um, we had an intern. She just left. She worked here for the summer. Um, I had one a couple of years ago. He actually wrote my presentation, my PowerPoint for our bonding. Um, and the experience that he gained, he's now at Seton Hall um, and he wants to go into government. Um, and I think that's also our duty. You know, how many times do you have a politician now that you look up to that inspires you? I don't know many. You know, all the politicians that inspire me, I hate to say, are, have passed away. And I talked to people about back in my hometown, there was a gentleman, Sam Gageson, he was a congressman, spoke at my eighth grade graduation. Um, Sam was a dairy farmer, him and his brother. And it inspired me that, you know, if he can do it, you know, at the time he was a state rep, but um, why can't I? And I think we need more inspiration in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think there's enough. Yeah, well, that, that's that's a great point. And it's interesting to hear you say that because especially in the past uh, seven years, seven, eight years, uh, there's been this big uproar against, you know, quote unquote, career politicians. Um, and I just hearing you say that, I, I'm, you know, wondered, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Like you're talking about somebody going to college and then immediately getting into politics. Is that what it was solely meant for or um, it's not getting into politics? It's doing the work. I mean, OK, I, I don't believe the treasurer's office. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. It became too political. It became okay. a resume builder. You know, it needs a, a person like me who has a technical background in actuarial studies and in finance and in pensions and in cash management. Um, these are opportunities that um, young people should look at. You, you don't have to be out, you know, being a politician, but doing the work. It's, it's mm-hmm. Think of it as a big nonprofit. It should be. The government should be here to serve us and make our lives better in some ways. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I tell people that this is my last job if I get elected. I have no aspirations to run for anything else. My wife has made it very clear that she will not um, tolerate me running for becoming a politician and running for office for something else. Um, I, I believe in term limits. You know, I, I think that's the only way that you get new ideas and fresh ideas and you make people accountable. Um, knowing that. I can only be there for four years or eight years. I've got to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I, I believe in. And that's how we get younger people. You know, I go to the treasurer's office now and, and I work with them. And, and a lot of the staff looks like me. You know, I hate to say older white guys. <laughs> and, and we need to bring more diversity into that office um, so that when we go out into the public that we can be more relatable to everybody and young people bring so much to the table. So after Bryant University, I graduated, um, had a career and um, in my late forties, I went back to school. I went to NYU to get my master's degree. I was the oldest person in the program. So I would get up on Saturday morning at 3 a.m. and drive to New Haven, get on the train, go into New York for the weekend, take my classes because one, 
I liked live classes. I liked the interaction. And, um, and most of the people in the program were, again, early professionals in their 30s um, or late 20s. They taught me as much as any of my instructors did, um, any of the professors, just how they approach problems and what they considered was important. Um, I have a daughter, as I said, she lives in Philadelphia. Um, she was a social worker. She's now a school counselor. But how she approaches life and how she um, looks at things is so much different than me. And the world is changing and it's going to be their world. And we need to allow them to have more voice and more say. Awesome. Uh, so uh, obviously we talked about you have a vast business background and how would that help your, your, you know, position, you know, and how does that experience help you with the position of state treasurer? Well, I think one, it's how I value cash and how I value risk is one. Um, and also the, the treasurer's office does have a program now that they make deposits into the banks to help um, them loan to smaller businesses. I'm not very, it's an okay program. I think it should be much better. Uh, but understanding having to go before banks before um, and ask for money, I, I understand how hard it is and how they can be prepared. Uh, I think it's Goldman Sachs has a program here in Rhode Island that businesses can go to teach them about not their business, but about business. It's run through CCRI. I think the treasurer's office could interact more with them. You know, I, I've been around uh, long enough. The treasurer's office never comes and visits me. They've come twice because I've asked them to, you know, explain some of the pension benefits to some of the employees of towns. I, I really do think the treasurer's office needs to be that proactive and a voice to say, this is what you need. Here are financial statements, projections. Here are analysis of what the bank is going to look at the risk. I'm a corporator at Senegal Bank. I've been um, a corporator at a bank in Connecticut, the Jewish City Savings Bank. Um, so I understand what they're looking for. Most people think, i got a great idea and I'm really good at what I do. Most businesses fail, not because the people aren't good at what they do. It's because they don't understand the world of business, the regulations, the taxes, uh, and how to manage their cash flow, and they don't have enough capital. You know, being a CPA for in, in private practice for so long, you know, it make you sad because, you know, they were great chefs, but their restaurant would fail or they were great, mm -hmm. you know, working with asphalt, but their business would fail because they didn't have that business knowledge. And that's what, you know, hopefully the treasurer's office can become more involved in. Great. Well, well, I have I have my own business and it, and it's amazing to hear you say that. Uh, because for me, the biggest drawback of starting my own business is having to deal with the state. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, Rhode Island has always had the stigmatism of not being great for small business. And 98% of businesses in the state of Rhode Island are still considered to be small businesses. Yep. Uh, and I mean, while I've done it, I, I really don't look forward to it every month when I have to do some taxes or things like that. Uh and it, it's kind of unfortunate because uh, I went into this young and stupid and, and loving what I was doing. And I'm still young and stupid. Trust me. I'm, you know, but. Uh, but you have a passion and that's what. You yeah, need. exactly. And, yeah. I, and I'm lucky where I can I'm I'm able to surpass the downfall of 
the state when it comes to supporting small businesses because I love what I do so much and I want to be my own boss, you know, so I'm lucky on that. And but a lot of it sucks for some people who don't have not the same passion, but the same tolerance, I guess. Exactly. It can beat you down and you get very frustrated. And, you know, I remember times when, you know, I'm eating mac and cheese and hot dogs because I got to make sure that I can pay my employees and, you know, or telling the wife that we can't go on vacation this year because, you know, I've got a lot of clients who are struggling and they're not paying me, but I know they're going to pay me. And um, that's just how it is. And those are decisions that are are very tough for a business owner to go through. And and again, you need that passion because if your only goal is to make money, you're going to fail. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you you have to, you know, you have to be passionate first because if you're not passionate first, then the money just doesn't happen. You know, it's, you need to know what you're doing. You need to have understanding of what you're doing. You need to have a plan. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people that go into business don't have. They just think that they're going to have this product and it's going to sell. And that's just how it works. Like they don't think about starting the business, getting an LLC and getting things like that. And and it's very interesting because when I first started, I knew nothing. I, I, I registered my business when I was still 19 years old. Um, so I was going into it, talking to people, thinking in my head that I knew what I was talking about, but in actuality, I sounded like a dumb 19 year old. (laughs) And I feel like, uh, and I was talking to Blake Phillippe about this is that it's almost like whenever somebody goes and tries to register a business, the state should try and maybe even just start a YouTube channel about what they need to do in the state of Rhode Island or have some sort of flyers and educate people on what goes into starting a business so that you're not getting into it. And then you instantly get in over your head and you spent the $400 on the LLC. And then you got to get the, your, your sales tax license. And it's just something that you don't understand and you just get lost in all of it, you know? And also what if it fails? How do I stop Mm -hmm. it all? Because the state, still requires all these things and penalties accumulate. You know, I think it's, it's all about that mentoring program type of stuff. Um, and you need to be able to take criticism. You know, I, I tell my staff, the best employees are the ones who argue with me, that tell me I'm dumb, tell me that I'm wrong and prove it to me. And the same thing for a small business where, you know, you've got to have that skin that when, if, if I was looking at your business plan, I would say, like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this isn't going to happen in your sales projections. And I think those are, are, are skills that I have. You look at Tidewater right now, you know, just looking from it from the outside, you could tell it was a bad deal. Anybody with any type of financial uh, background, the Superman building, they will not mm-hmm. be able to renovate that building for $200 million. The developer will be back at the door. And the, the problem is, especially once you get in so deep, it's you're in for a dollar, you're in for a million dollars because you can't get out because then it's all lost money. Um, that's the, the, the problem that uh, I think the politicians who want these shiny objects, you know, which would, would you'd rather have 
as a small business? Is Superman building in Providence or better internet service for your business to, to connect to? You know, those, mm-hmm. those infrastructures, they're not sexy things, but those are things that we need. And, you know, we can't entice a business being transactional, that you just come here and we gave you money to be here. We need to create an environment that you can succeed here, that we need to lower utility costs. We're 10th highest in the country as far as utility costs. You know, I talked to a, a constituent, you know, when I was out campaigning, you know, his business um, uses a lot of electricity. They do laser engraving. His electric bill is over $20,000 a month now. Yeah. And with the new increase, he expects it to be $30,000 a month. You know, as he said, it's very easy for him to just move his business to North Carolina because he's dealing with customers throughout the country and that he can cut, you know, his utility bill in half. Mm -hmm. Um, that all goes to the bottom line and those are things that we need to have a discussion about they're not they're not as i said they're not the the things that people say oh what about electricity cost or that's the difference in in a guy like me and a politician Mm -hmm. Uh, i've done it i get into it you know my wife makes fun of me that you know in the back of the toilet, I have financial statements. So, you know, most people have a magazine or something. In yep. there. And, yep. and she said, you know, when my friends come over, I got to hide them. Like, what kind of geek? I'm like, this is what I do. This is my passion is the finance part. Yeah. I know what I'm good at. And it took me a long time to figure out what I was good at. And that's why I'm running for office. Yeah. And, and as somebody from the outside looking in, it almost seems like the current state of Rhode Island is you know, Dan McKee claims to care about small business. All these people claim to care about small business, but they really don't do anything about it. And it seems like it's, it's been like that for a while where the Rhode Island government really doesn't seem like they care about small business. Uh, And do you think that's a fair statement or uh, do you think that's a little unfair? I think it's, I think it's a fair statement. You know, it's a political year, so they're out saying that. What happens two years from now? Are you still mm-hmm. out at the small businesses and giving them the support? It's mm-hmm. in the off cycles. It's what do you do when no one's looking? I mean, that's really the character of a person. What do you do when no one's looking? Uh, and that that's the best way I, I could say it. And... If we really cared about small business, we'd make them a priority. Where has Commerce you know, Corp been to help you? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of resources have they reached out to you and saying, you know, here's what we have. We have a great organization here in the state called Ocean. They run all the internet for all municipalities, for all government, for nonprofits, for hospitals, and they're building a fiber backbone throughout the state. And, you know, how come someone hasn't connected them to you and saying, how can we help you? We're a nonprofit. We're not in it about making money. Um, those, those are things. And a person like me who has the knowledge of doing it. Um, I'm not, I'm not some guy who just dropped out of, you know, from New Jersey or, or I was a mayor and just said, I can do this. You know, skills and leadership do not come with titles. They come with action. They come with experience and they come with results. You know, just to say that I was mayor and, and look at my, my leadership skills because I was mayor. Well, what did you do? Uh, 
and that's, you know, I said, growing up in that old Yankee background, my dad, you know, would always say, what have you done for me? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he took more pride in that he made it with no help and and the same with me. Uh, it's the stuff that you earn, even if it's small, is more valuable to you and more special than the stuff that was just given to you. People want that. Just all they want is that opportunity. They don't want to hand out. They want to hand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting to hear you say that because it seems like there's either the people who want the handout, they don't want to admit it, and then you have the people that just want to be left alone. You know, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a two edged sword. So my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, she just graduated from master's. Um, you know, she got through undergrad with help from dad with no debt, but graduate school was on hers. And now she has some debt, not too mm-hmm. bad, but she knows she's going to get $10,000 forgiven. Now, do I agree with it? No, I don't. But I'm also not going to say, no, don't take it. it, mm. it it's one of those very um, tough things, uh, you know, from government giving three thousand dollars to every person for being vaccinated or or whatever Mm -hmm. you know do i think it's right no and if but if they were going to cut me a check would i take it probably see that's interesting because it's like i wouldn't be totally against uh forgiving parts of student loan but when you go and send money billions of dollars and spend it on useless things and then that could go a long way in helping students get out of debt and then you're just gonna you're gonna go rack up it more debt in the government side and then so it's like it's just mismanagement of money you know like i feel like that's huge and a lot of people wouldn't be against it it just stop sending money to useless things And I think, you know, they could have got around student loans in different ways. They could have just Mm -hmm. said all student loans have 0% interest. Mm -hmm. That's huge. We're going to give it back to you. That's huge. But just make it zero. So if you borrowed Mm $40,000, that's all you're paying back, not the 70 or 80,000 with the interest amount. Mm -hmm. That would be a huge amount. And it's kind of neutral. The other, I was reading an article um, this week in the Wall Street Journal that a gentleman proposed that, you know, if you buy a Ford, you finance your car through Ford and they're responsible to give you the credit. If you don't pay them, it's, it's their issue. Why not privatize student loans in the same way? And if you go to URI, URI loans you the money Mm -hmm. and so that they're going to have a vested interest to make sure that you have the ability to get through school and pay it back because if they don't, they lose the money, not us as taxpayers. I thought that was a very unique proposal um, because. Well, that would never happen, unfortunately, because the whole reason why so many people are in debt is because the government took over student loans and made it available to so many people. It's it's a very similar thing to what happened with the mortgages in in 2008 is that everybody and their brother was getting a mortgage, even if they made $10,000 a year. And it's the same thing that's happening. So you hope that, something like that doesn't happen to students, you know, so many vulnerable young people and like, it's ridiculous. You made it so available. So many people could get it. And now you're only 10 years later, you're 
like whoops <laughs> or you make the parents co-sign every loan mm-hmm. so that, you know as an 18 or 19 year old oh i get free money so i can go to school that's great but if the parent's saying like if he doesn't or she doesn't pay i'm on the hook for part of it i'm going to make sure that you know they're doing what they're supposed to and are we getting so far into debt uh, there's a lot of ways around a mm-hmm. lot of different problems you know and again these are more us talking the role of the treasurer is, is maybe to have a, a pulpit to talk about these ideas, but I, mm-hmm. it really has no authority. As much as yeah. you know, other candidates talk about, you know, I'm going to change the office and we're going to do these things. By state statute, you don't have the authority to do those things. Manage yeah. the pension, manage the cash, manage these programs. And, uh, you know, hopefully you never see me in the news if I'm a treasurer. Other than, you know, hey, our pension, we're getting polars back again. Uh I don't want to be out there uh, publicizing or, or a cause. I mean, yep. I have causes, but those are for me to do as an individual, not to use yep. the office in a way that it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And I guess we are talking about education right now, but I think I'd like to talk about it on the state level, not college and, and sure. public education. Uh, so sorry, I just, sometimes I get talking and, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So where do you see the, the state treasurer in terms of public education and, and what they can do to help the state of Rhode Island? I think there's two things. One is to talk about the school funding formula. Mm-hmm. Funding formula the state never had until Gina Romano came in and so that we were eligible for a race to the top funds. It all before was legislative. And that created a problem because the more power a legislator had, the more money that they could get for their community. Now we have a formula. The formula is not working well. You know, it, it's better than it was, but I think special education should be a state obligation and not a community obligation. You know, we are a state and it's such a driving force on communities, especially poorer communities. I also believe the treasurer's office can issue what they call social impact bonds. These are bonds that uh, drive programs that have savings that create uh, the ability to repay the bonds. So a perfect example is out in the Midwest, they've done some of these to provide uh, pre-K education. So starting at age three, everybody gets full-time education. The idea is the earlier you get children into the school, the less special education costs you have later on. So you fund it, and then you, what they've seen is a significant drop in the special education cost later on in students' lives and in communities, and they use that savings to pay the bonds. And based on how some of the bonds work, if it doesn't come to fruition, you don't have the obligation to pay it back. So it's a very complicated uh, mechanism. But I think that's something that the treasurers could get involved with. I also think on how we do school construction. So here in Rhode Island, each town gets a a different percentage based on their wealth levels of reimbursement from the state. However, what they do is they only reimburse your debt service. So if I borrow $100 million and my payment is $10 million a year and I'm a 40% community, I get $4 million a year from the state to help offset my debt costs. Many states do it and they pay it up front as a lump sum, so the towns have to borrow less money. And the state already has this money set aside, so why not do that? 
so that instead of having to borrow $100 million to build new schools, a community could go out and say, I only need $60 million to borrow new schools. And it will have a different impact on my taxes. And I think it also will allow people to get behind it because big numbers scare people. I mean, those are the type of just moving the numbers around a little bit that we can do. Um, and I understand why the state does it because it's subject to an annual appropriation. So you're not guaranteed your future payments. Um, they've never not done it. But if they just did it up front, I think that would be a, a much better um, way for communities. They have started it as a pilot program. It's called PayGo. So for smaller projects, once you complete it, you get your money right up front. You don't have to wait over time. But I think that's where the treasurer's office can come in. You know, we we can't direct education, um, but we can help the resources. Mm -hmm. now, I do want to kind of go a, a little off subject, but talk about local education or, and about a program that we're trying to implement here in North Kingstown. So we have a business program, and I said I, I use the kids as interns. They've been great. I've been extremely impressed by all of them. Um, one is about investments. So what we're trying to do right now is we're going to give those students $50,000 of real cash to invest. You know, they have to write an investment policy. They have to uh, have certain guidelines, just like they were professionals. And the goal is whatever profit that they make is that the seniors in the program will get to keep that money for scholarships. And, you know, North King sounds very fortunate that we have between 45 and $60 million of cash on hand at all times. So 50,000 is not going to affect our operational wise. But I watch kids who do these type of stimulations as games and they take incredible risk because it's all about winning. But when it's real money and it impacts them, it's going to change their decision making and it's going to make them more think about real life. And that's a program that I'd like to implement statewide if I was treasurer to give every high school a certain amount of funds that they can invest and that they can keep the profit to help, you know, offset. And it wouldn't really have a significant impact to the state at all, but the knowledge that it gives to these kids, you know, do I want to buy the Bitcoin that maybe goes up a thousand percent or do I want to buy, you know, my general dynamics that I know I'm going to get a 4% dividend every year and maybe two or 3% growth. Um, those are, are, are decisions that kids need to learn that, you know, how many people who have 401ks and don't manage it? Because they really don't understand, oh, I just put the money in and they do what they do with it. Um, mm -hmm. You have some opportunities to manage that money. And the, the sooner you get into that, um, I think that is is something that we need to do. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, I was very lucky. I went to, to Cheryl High School and we have we had an amazing program. We had personal finance class and I was part of an incubator program where it was basically, basically Shark Tank for a year. Yep. And we started our own business and uh, we built it. We built the website. We had a plan. We obviously had the product and uh, it was an incredible program. And I honestly do not think that I would have my business now if it weren't for those two classes. Uh, we had incredible teachers. Um, and they knew what they were doing. One of them had their own business and she ran the incubator class and the other one had a finance history, which is why he was running a personal finance class. It wasn't just some teacher that was given a curriculum. There were actual people who had actual business and finance backgrounds. Um, and I, and I would love to give them a shout out. I think my, I think his name was Mr. Silva. 
and Miss Scanny Pieco. Amazing teachers. So if they listen, shout out to them. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, just one or two great teachers in your life can have yep. such an impact on your whole life. Well, I was lucky. I had several great teachers at Cherro High School. Uh, and I think a lot of schools can learn from them based off of the career and technical program that they have over there too. Uh, So I was very lucky to go to the school that I went to. I understand that a lot of other school districts, even in the state of Rhode Island, don't have the opportunities that I had in high school. Uh, So I'm very lucky to be in or to where, where I was in the position that I was in in high school. So, um, but yeah, do you think that those sort of classes should be implemented throughout the state like uh like you were saying so you uh, I do I think they should be mandatory yeah you know I yeah. think it's just as important as anything else is how to understand it and it's not just on the high school level it's uh you know even at, at the college level to reinforce those ideas as adult education um you know people who maybe weren't as fortunate as you but now they're in their 30s and they're looking at buying a house you know it it should be an opportunity out there that here's what you need to learn or you want to start the business. Like I said, you know, if you've got a business, you should really consider looking at the Goldman Sachs programs or CCRI. It's, it's a great, great program. It's free. Uh, but, you know, you do have to apply. They have a limited amount of spaces each year. Uh, and, and it also helps with that whole networking factor too. Uh, different people who have startup businesses and, oh, well, I do web design or I do this product or I do these different types of things. Um, It's important. And it's, you've got to start thinking differently. You're not just selling to your neighbors or your friends. It's what happens when you start shipping, you know, out of state. And if you're doing, especially a product, how do you collect sales tax for out of state and and all those other issues that can can come up um, as well as understanding uh, uh, business like Walmart that, it, you know, if it doesn't sell, they'll take it back from a customer and they just charge you against your, your bill. Like not that maybe the product was bad, but they just didn't like it. So they just, um, will charge you back for it. And, and I know businesses that have done those things and they get, you know, focused on, Oh my God, I'm in Walmart and I'm going to make, you know, $50 million in sales. Well, when Walmart starts charging you back 10 million because people return the products or it didn't sell and they don't give you the product back because it's not worth the effort, that's the agreements, you know, that takes all your profit away. Mm-hmm. How do you understand those things? And, uh, and that's what I do. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually interested. I was just thinking, so back to education, I apologize, yeah. but it's an, sort of an important topic to me. And so can the state treasury, uh, can you guys help with uh, the issue with teachers in the state of Rhode Island? Is that something that the, that the, that the state treasurer can do to help support teachers? Or because uh, again, I think um, one is the biggest thing that we do is, is the pensions for the teachers. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's more of that pulpit to um, have ideas. You know, I'm a big believer that teachers should be part of the community. I think, you know, public safety officers and those things that, um, you know, when I grew up, it was a small community. And I'd like to see, you know, Mrs. Tradowski, one of my favorite teachers in fifth grade, 
you know, at the grocery store or at a festival and that they're really involved with the community mm-hmm. and some of the communities, and I'll pick on North Kingstown because I work here or even South Kingstown where I live, a, a starting teacher cannot afford a house here, cannot afford to live here. And how can we help them in that area? Now, it could be in some sort of subsidized loaning. The, the treasurer does sit on the Rhode Island Housing Board, a Housing Authority Board, um, or property tax breaks. You know, one of the things when I lived in Connecticut and I helped some of the communities do, and I've even proposed here, is like volunteer firemen. You know, they save a community so much money and yet we give them nothing and they have a hard time recruiting. If a volunteer fireman, you know, if someone is willing to do that, we should be able to give them a property tax break that, you know, it's, it's usually not anywhere worth their value of their service, but it says, thank you. It says, you know, if you came to 60% of the calls and you were a volunteer fireman, you get a thousand dollars off your property tax. Uh, it acknowledges them. And I think it helps encourage people. You know, I know um, in South Kingstown, um, they provide housing for some of the firemen because they're URI students so that they're there in the stations and, and they're all volunteers. You know, the treasurer should be able to look at all these things and bring these to the public and bring these to the legislation and also do it in a way to show them that it's not going to cost you a lot of money. You know, what we found in in Connecticut when we did this in some of the communities is that the new volunteers were guys like you. And I don't know your situation, but they didn't own a house, but they owned a car. So the the credit they got was only for their car up to a thousand dollars. So it only cost us a couple hundred bucks a year for for a fireman, which so it really wasn't that big factor. Um, Those are things that we need to think about and how we retain them. I mean, you know, communities spend, you know, $15 million a year on firefighters and and not that they're not worth it and not that they're not needed, but how do we, you know, how do we encourage them? How do we bring more diversity within the departments? You know, a lot of the the old stations have one dressing rooms and, and small quarters. How do we bring more women or minorities into those departments? I think that's where the treasurer can, help is is to say here's some things that we can do how we can do them and how it's not going to cost you you know any money or a very small amount of money and then the legislation can make those decisions um, you know the other thing that i believe that the treasurer should start doing is when the 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 state passes different types of tax credits and incentives is we should look at the equality of those incentives so you know this won't be popular as I say it, but a car tax, we removed the car tax. Great thing. You know, I'm a fairly successful guy. I have two late model cars. I was paying a thousand dollars a year in car tax. Great. But we'll just say, and I don't mean to pick on you, but just cause you're here that, you know, you've got a 12 year old car cause you're a young guy and you got a business and you're trying to start and your taxes were, you know, $10 or even nothing, maybe, who knows? And you didn't get a break from that. And, and I'm someone who, you know, I, I do make fairly good money and my wife makes good money. So was that an equitable process? 
I don't know. You know, and not that it's my job to do the judgment, but I think the treasurer's office should be able to report back to the legislation that let's look at these proposals. How does it affect the equity, you know, that what you're trying to do? Is it really helping all people or is it helping just a certain select group that is getting the most of the benefit? Yeah. Oh, very so interesting. Really Republican, you know, I, I tell people I'm fiscally conservative and socially responsible. That, that, well, there you go. Very interesting. Um, well, I'd like to move on. So uh, Seth Magaziner is a current state treasurer. Yeah. So I'd love to hear things that you like that he's doing, if there's anything, and things that you would change or dislike that he is doing currently as treasurer, things that stick out to you. Well, first, Seth has been very nice to me. He, he's, you know, I've worked with him just through my job, but as I've been running, he's invited me down a couple of times to meet staff and to get a better feel of the operation. So I really appreciate it. And, and he truly is a gentleman. Uh, so I, I'd like to start with that. Um, I do think he was in a tough situation coming in. Um, I think Gina Raimondo uh, really made a lot of bad decisions in how to invest pension funds um, into hedge funds and private and not disclosing everything. Uh, and, and, and I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves with Seth is that how does he, how transparent is he? I don't know if you saw um, the transparency pledge, which I signed, which got picked up by Forbes magazine. Um, neither of my opponents have agreed to sign it which says every agreement with every investment advisor will not be redacted and will be made public, as well as how we value every investment. You know, over 70% of the investments in the pension funds right now are either with hedge funds or private investments uh, or, or real estate, which are how are we valuating them? You know, are we just making up numbers because they don't have a market condition? So th those are things that I don't like that he does. Um, I do understand that, you know, he's made some changes in the market. He's trying to get out of some of those, um, I would say, derivatives and overly sophisticated investments that have the upside but have a lot of risk associated with them. He's trying to drive down the risk. So I think those are good, but I think he can do more. Um, Rhode Island Able is a program that I think has been neglected by him. And I know why, because it doesn't generate any fees for the state. And I, I think I mentioned it earlier, it's where people who have disabilities and are collecting disability, family and friends can fund this money. They can use it uh, later in life um, and it doesn't affect their benefits. You know, if you had a child with a Down syndrome or, or different things, there's only one person in there. Now, the state makes approximately $10 million a year from the 529 program, which they use to fund the free education at CCRI. Um, they make uh, several million dollars from the unclaimed property. They actually take in more than they give out every year, which goes into the general fund. Uh, so I think, you know, some of those programs should be enhanced that it's not always about the money. It's about the service. And those are some of the stuff that I disagree with him. Um, you know, he has some very good people working there. You know, I, I don't know if I would change a lot of the staffing. I, I know them. I work with them. They're not political. I, I, I say the, the treasurer's job is an elected position, but should not be a political vehicle. And, 
you know, he's made that a little. I mean, that's one of the, the second reason that I'm running is that the office had become just a stepping stone, a resume builder for, for career politicians who want to become governor or congressman or, or some other thing in the um, later in life. That's not who I am. You know, after if I get elected, um, hopefully I retire and you'll see me down in South County playing golf or hanging out at the beach or doing those things or working at a nonprofit or, or back into finance. Um, I really have no aspirations. And that's what I think has been wrong about how sometimes he runs the office. You can see in how he uses the office to uh, help his future career. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that information. Um, so I met, as I were, we talked about before we started, um, uh, Stefan Pryor, yep. uh, last week at a Southern Rhode Island chamber event. Uh, and he said he'd be very interested in coming on the podcast. And unfortunately he hasn't got to me back, gotten back to me yet, but the invitation is still out there if he ends up listening to this, but I'm interested to hear, uh, sort of your take on your opponent's uh, and um, why you think you'd be better than them at the state treasury position? Well, I, I think Stephen Pryor has other aspirations. You know, if you listen to him talk, he wants to make the treasurer's office another commerce office. Um, but this way he has no one to report to. He has no board of directors. He doesn't report to the governor. You know, he can do, give him some freedom and build a, a, a resume builder for, for future endeavors. Um, you look at his track record while he's been in a lot of places, you know, you look at New Jersey, there was a forensic audit on his program called the Brick City Development Corp, how a lot of the loans he gave were out applications, there were never payments, they were never verified. Um, there was issues at the Lower Manhattan Corp that um, he was involved with um, as part of the World Trade Center program. And you know, money, there was claims of not being appropriated correctly. I think it was around 45 million um, on that. You know, even at the commerce here, you know, to leave before Tidewater is done or different things is, uh, we talked about character. You know, if you're there to do a job, you're there to finish a job. You know, I was very upfront when I talked to my current employer, North Kingstown, about my you know, aspirations for this position and what my plan was and how I would make sure things were done, who was in place, um, that we would get budgets done, that we would get the audit done. Uh, you have a responsibility for the people that have helped you or, or for your position. And I, I don't think he's a, I don't think he has good character. I mean, he's a smart person, but I, I don't, you know, he was the educational commissioner in Connecticut and he left because he was a liability to the governor who was trying to rerun. Um, you know, he pushed and founded charter schools, which is, I know, a, a controversy issue here in Connecticut. And then, you know, he started pushing them into Connecticut schools and that, you know, they were run by felons and, and, and there were different issues there. Um, so, he is the one that most scares me um, because does he really have Rhode Island's best interest at heart, you know, or is it about Mr. Pryor? Uh, Mr. Diozzi, um, I've met a couple times, 
you know, he's very nice and, and, and he's very good at being a politician. I mean, he's very likable. And, uh, but, you know, rumor is that he was up for the lieutenant governor job and, and this became kind of like his consolation prize. You know, I, in one of the debates, he, he mentioned that he has no investments personally. Um, someone who has no investments is going to now manage $11 billion in investments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with some training and skill, I think he could do the job, but this isn't an on-the-job training program here at Treasurer. You know, if I get elected, maybe I'll hire him. You know, he's a nice guy, and I think he's smart, but he just doesn't have the background to do this job. And just to say I was mayor during bankruptcy, well, he followed what the receiver told him to do. He had very limited um, opportunities to, to make any decisions, and how do they understand um, the pension itself? is the investment piece in there is pension. There's actually multiple pensions within the program, and, and they really don't talk about that. Uh, you know, I, I also think it's, it's concerning that someone would spend so much money to become treasurer. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, James has, you know, raised $200,000 in change. Um, Supplier is taking a substantial pay cut to become treasurer, and he's raised, you know, anywhere from three to $500,000 from what I'm hearing um, to be treasurer. You know, I, I've raised less than $100,000. Um, you know, I hope, I trust the people of Rhode Island. I believe that they're smart people, that at the end of the day, that they're going to look at the qualifications and they're going to look at the person and the character of that person. And they're going to say, this is the guy who I want holding my money. You know, that was when I had my accounting practice and I still have clients who call me, even though the firm who bought me out, Jim, you know, we trusted you because you told us straight up, you know, you understood what we were facing and you didn't give us options. You gave us opinions and, and we believed in you. And, and, and for the most part, they worked out. And, and that's what, you know, how I'm running my campaign is you know going out shaking hands i'm not the most public guy i like my privacy uh, yeah so I, I think they just scare me that's part of the reason i ran you know what the office has become and their ability to do the job it's my money my pension is there you know it, it's my taxes are impacted by what they do uh, i have a vested interest i'm not going anywhere i'm you know to get my wife out of Rhode Island, I had to move to Connecticut when I married her. Um, <laughs> that was the deal. Um, that's never going to happen. So, Great. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that as well. And so we're nearing the end and I would, I'm very interested. I want to recap a little bit. So why you're running uh, and what are your goals if you get elected as state treasurer? So I'm running because I want to bring professionalism back into the treasurer's office. I want to stop making it a political office and really bring the technical skills that are needed to drive it forward and to make real changes that affect people, particularly around the pension and and well, some of the other programs. So that's why I'm running. You know, the changes that I want to make is to bring more transparency to the office, to uh, be more relatable to 
individuals and be more proactive in the community as far as educational training um, and opportunities so that they really understand what they need to do to either grow personal wealth or to expand their business and give them the opportunity. So it was, that's what I'm running on. Um, and that's why I'm doing it. Great. Well, I really appreciate that. So the last question I ask every person I have on my podcast has really nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with advice. So if you were to leave my listeners with a piece of advice, whether it's personal or business, you know, life advice, what would that be? Follow your passion. You will never be unhappy if you follow your passion. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate that. That's some great advice. And most of the time, the simple ones go the longest way uh, from what I've learned. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and talk to me. Uh, And I was really excited to do this as well. Um, So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I hope I got your vote and and maybe some of your listeners. And uh, I said behind me, you can go to my website, Lathrop4ri.com and learn more about me. Um, I'm on Twitter and all the social media stuff and, uh, you know, and I'm on Facebook, follow me. And again, if you have a question, call me because the phone line goes right to me. Uh, Absolutely. Well, I sent you an email and you responded within an hour and you said you'd be more than happy to come on. And I really appreciate that. And I wish you the best of luck. And and, and maybe once the primary is over, as we get closer to November, you would be willing to invite me back on. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and maybe we can get the uh, on the other side of the aisle there. Yeah. You know, whoever wins a primary, maybe you guys can have a conversation and see how that goes. That would be that would be interesting. Thank you. All right. All right. No problem. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Knowledge is Power podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and I will catch you in the next one.